Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that us content creators put together to let you know what we've been playing recently. Because we have to let you know what we've been playing recently. <laughs> and on this episode are The Tabletop Bellhop, Dice and Dragons, Maple and the Moose, Board on the Air, the Meeple Dungeon, the Bridge City Board Gamers Community, and Cardboard Conjecture. And if you have the time, please check out the show notes for the links to the cast. And like I always say, enjoy! Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, working with you to make your game nights better. Now, I've got lots of games to talk about this week due to Deanna and I taking a short vacation, a vacation which included its fair share of gaming. Now the first game I want to talk about is Brewcrafter Travel Card Game, or Brewcrafter The Travel Card Game, which also seems to be sold some places as microbrewers. This is a small travel version of the much, much meatier Brewcrafters board game. Now, this past week, we unlocked an achievement by playing Brewcrafters at an actual brewery, something we hope to repeat again in the future. Now, Brewcrafters Travel Card Game is a very solid, small deck engine builder featuring multi-use cards. Each card in the deck can be used as either an ingredient for brewing beer, which you get reputation points for, or can instead be played into your tableau as an upgrade to your brewery, modifying how the game plays going forward. This option each round leads to some really interesting choices, as well as multiple valid strategies you can use while playing, which was highly appreciated. Now, we ended up playing this one on multiple times over the past week, and now it's on our bring with us on any trip that may involve a brewery or brew pub list, which actually has a surprisingly large number of games on it. But this is right now at the top of the list. Next up, speaking of drinking and gaming, we've got to try out Drinking Quest, specifically the new six-pack edition, which is a deluxe edition of Drinking Quest that includes all these six previous games in an upgraded package, some updated cards, and so on. This will be hitting retail on the May 2-4 coming up this weekend. That's uh, May 24th weekend for you non-Canadians. Now, thanks to Jason Anarchy Games for sending us a copy of this to check out before the weekend. Now, Drinking Quest is a mashup of card game and drinking game with many RPG elements. And by drinking game, I mean drinking game, like a game where you're going to drink a lot. Uh, Literally in this game, if your character dies, you have to chug your drink, though when you do, they are resurrected at full health. If you don't finish your drink, though, you only get half your health back. Now, this is a super light, um, rather juvenile and highly random game with very little decision points for the players. Now, it also features some potentially offensive 
content, including non-consensual sex. So it's not going to be for everyone. Now, I was personally expecting more of a game from this. It's definitely more of a drinking activity than a involved game. Now, anytime it's just Deanna and I, you can usually expect multiple rounds of Codenames Duet to be played, and this trip was no exception. In total, I think we played 10 rounds, maybe 12, and um, I don't know what was going on, but we didn't win even once. Now, I, I guess we were off our game. Uh, almost every game ended with one of us picking an assassin, so our clue-giving skills were terrible, or we were trying to think too far outside the box. I don't know. The important thing is, though, we still had fun. We loved Codenames Duet. Uh, that's another one that we pack with us on pretty much any trip. Now, the last time we were on a similar trip to this, we grabbed the game. That's the game, the game from Pandasaurus. And based on how well that went last time, we did bring it this time as well. Now, we ended up playing only two rounds, but they were enjoyable rounds. And we had them played them over some fantastic Ontario craft beers. And I've got to say, overall, this is really bumping up my list of games to play at a pub. Now, while it does require some focus to play the game, you can't just play cards randomly. There is thought involved, but it's not enough that it's distracting and you have to focus too much on the game. You can easily play while chatting and socializing. And actually, because of the limitations on what you are allowed to talk about about the game, it kind of encourages you to talk about things outside of the game. Now, as for our two games, we lost the first one. Um, we had to make a 60-card jump at one point without any option at the time. Uh, maybe we could have played better leading up to that point, but once we hit that point, there was no choice, and there was no recovering from that. Now, our second game, we got down to five cards uh, left total in our hands, and that may be a record. I can't remember. What I do know, we have yet to play the entire deck playing two players yet. So I don't know if, if um, the game is just harder with two players, or we're just not that good, or maybe we're getting a little too distracted by the conversation and beers while we're playing. But now we still have something to strive for. So I have a feeling until we actually beat the game fully, like 10 cards is considered a win. But but like playing all your cards is like the ultimate. You did it. You That is our, is our goal next. Until we hit it, I think we're going to keep playing the game anytime we take a trip like this. Now, after our trip on the day we got back to Windsor, we did stop by Brenda and Holly's place. We had some dinner and got in a couple more games. Now, for this particular event, we let the kids pick what to play. And we ended up with two rounds of Gokuku, followed by a game of the downfall of Pompeii. Now, Gokuku is still amazing. This is honestly one of the best dexterity games out there. And if you dig dex games, you should just go pick this up. Now, this is from Haba and was originally released as a special Easter game. Now, well marketed towards young kids, like the tin, I think, says age four plus, though I can't see a four-year-old being able to play the game at all well, but they can play with the pieces. But anyway, it's it's supposed to be for four plus, and while my kids love it, my oldest daughter's 14 at this point and still digs this game. This is a game that is great with gamers of all ages. Um, even my dexterity game-hating wife digs Gokutuku due to the tactics involved on how you place your sticks and trying to set things up so that for yourself on future turns or to punish players on their future turns. Now, as for the downfall of Pompeii, yes, um, all you social media followers out there will be very happy to know that, yes, we did include a tea light in the volcano, uh, specifically one with this like cool little plastic flame that looked like it was flickering. And yeah, okay, I admit it, it makes the game uh, much cooler. Actually, like, way more cool 
than just adding a tea light should. Like there's just something about throwing those little cylinders into a lit up volcano that does actually make the game somehow better. Um, as mentioned, the kids requested this one, so they are big fans, and this just continues to be a hit with the whole family. And I have a feeling it's going to keep seeing more and more plays. It's one of those games I kind of feel bad I haven't had in my collection until recently. But you know what? It's never too late to discover a great old game. Well, there you have what I've been playing this past week. Before I go, a reminder to visit TabletopBellhop.com. Join us most Wednesday nights on Twitch at 9 p.m. Eastern for our live podcast recording. I do say most because we will be skipping this week. Uh, Sean's daughter has a semi-formal and he's got to pick her up in chaperone, so will not be available to record. Now, when you can't make it live or if you miss one of our shows, you can also find us on your podcatcher of choice on YouTube and on the blog where you can listen along with the show notes. Um, and you may be able to find us YouTube on Sundays around 1 p.m. for brunch, but that's a show we do if we are available. And we will not be doing one this week, so I'm not even sure why I'm mentioning it at the end of this show. I'm rambling. I'm done. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzno. Good day and game on. <laughs> What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. And you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, and on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? It's what you've been playing Wednesdays. And what game have we been playing? The Ghost Betwixt. It is published by Innocent Traveler Games and designed by Dustin Freund. So tell everyone a little bit about this game, Julie. Well, it is a cooperative game that's for one to four players plays in 90 to 120, 180 minutes, uh, is for ages 10 and above. And this is a kids on bikes theme game, so if you like Stranger Things, It, things like that, you'll get... Well, it's not that it's themed that, it's like it. Uh, it is themed that, I mean, you, your kids with your parents, and you're beating up monsters with everything you can find around the house, so... But it's like actually kids on bikes. Okay, love, it's a genre... They get it. <laughs> now, in any case, what you'll be doing in the game is entering the Bennett Mansion. Your brother, Richie, has been kidnapped. So you and your parents, as I just mentioned, have grabbed whatever you could around the house. And you ventured into the World of Terror Funhouse to rescue your brother from whatever's going on inside. And it's far more supernatural than anyone would have expected. So you're going to be encountering monsters, humans that are essentially monsters, and some other creepy stuff in this six-mission six cooperative game. And it's campaign style, so you'll be leveling up your characters, getting more gear, and getting armor, of course, and you, there's some really cool combat stuff you can do as well. Yeah, so investigation and combat, basically. Yeah, that's the primary focus of the game. There are a lot of components, a lot of little things uh, for this game. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, I don't mind now, but I found it was a little bit overwhelming at first. Reminds me a little bit of Folklore the Affliction, which has that problem as well. But uh, once we got used to it, it wasn't so bad. I do feel that there could have been just a little bit more streamlining in terms of what there is available for components to make it a little bit more accessible. As something that's uh, for 10-year-olds, it can probably feel a little bit overwhelming for them, especially with all the components I have in front of them. That being said, Everything that you're doing is fairly straightforward, so once you get a hang of it, it's not something that's going to really slow you down that much. Well, it's like the quarter, thirds, half 
uh, that took some getting used to also, as well. But once you're used to it, it, it kind of works a little bit better. Yeah, so the way that it works is some defense abilities might have one-third, one-quarter, which if you roll like a one-third or one-quarter on a dice, you got enough armor. It turns into a full defense, which is pretty cool. But the round numbers might have been a little bit more preferable. And then you've got the half successes, which I minded less because if you get two of them, it means you got a full success. So that was less annoying. It definitely really was more the quarter and the third that I didn't enjoy in particular. Yeah, and when we were playing, I mean, at first I had to remind myself I was pretty annoyed at the fact that we were really weak. But it makes sense. It's thematic. I mean, like you said, you're grabbing whatever you can, you know, running out the door. So a slingshot's not going to do a lot of damage, is it? No, but it does enough for the enemies that you face. And even though we didn't get a ton of upgrades in the first mission to the second, we still didn't have too much difficulty with regards to facing off against enemies during the second mission. And we started unlocking some new abilities and gear that we'd be able to get. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's definitely accessible um, for younger players. I would definitely say, even at 10 years old, I would suggest that they probably want to play with an adult just because, as you said, there's a lot of components. Um, but from a strategy perspective, I think you could probably play with young, let younger players play. They just m might take them a little longer to uh, achieve what they're looking for. Yeah, and I really like the dice pool in the game. Building the dice pool is a lot of fun. I like the colorful dice. Everything's got a very bright and friendly family theme, even though it's, you know, it's a creepy haunted house. There is still that eeriness, but the art and everything really helps bring it and sorry, helps make it accessible uh, to the table. The one thing that I'll say that definitely was a downside for me and probably the biggest downside that I have with regards to the game is just learning the game, the rules reference guide, and the amount of time we're constantly going back to the, the mission book. A few more cards and a few uh, other ways to potentially streamline some of that information, maybe some more player aids would have been much appreciated. A good example of this is that uh, in each mission you have to you'll potentially be getting some treasures or there's going to be a surprise event table. If those things were just included as a mission card that I had out readily available and didn't have to go through the book, it would have been a lot easier and just a lot faster playing the game. And so being that this is the freshman effort from Innocent Traveler Games, I really like what I see. I like the system, like what they've developed, but it could definitely use a little bit of refining and streamlining. Yeah, I mean, this is, um, it's definitely a dungeon crawl, and it's its nice in that regard. Um, I was just thinking it's not likely something that we would want to go back to necessarily, just the two of us. There are other games that are our go-to. I mean, there's some story, but it's no uh, Lord of the Rings type level story. Um, so, I mean, it, like you said, its, it's a, it, it was a, a fun game. It was decent. Um, I think it would be fun to play uh, as a family more. I think that's... A, really the, the right niche for it. No, and I have to agree, just in terms of what we like playing and what we have on the shelf, what's coming, what's shipping, things like that. Uh, this game is definitely one that we would like to complete. I'd like to see the end of the story, but I don't think we're going to be in a rush to get this one uh, fully completed. We are so behind on our other campaign games that uh, I think we're going to want to try to find some ways of taking of finding the time to complete them. It might mean taking a little bit of break from reviews once we get caught up on a few things, but uh, we'll get there. And on that note, I think we're going to remind everyone to... Well, I'm going to say, if you want to oh. listen to our review, if, if you want more comments, a little bit more detail, you can check out our review that comes out tomorrow. Otherwise, we'd like to remind everybody to... Keep, keep playing, playing games. games.
Hello, my name is Alex. I write board game reviews over at MeepleInTheMoose.com and I'm here to talk about the games I've been playing this week for What You've Been Playing Wednesday. This week, my mom came to visit and to wind down in the evenings after hitting all the touristy spots around town and after getting the toddler to bed, we played a bunch of games. Like me, she likes to discover new games. So we played Patrick, Project L, Carcassonne, Seven Wonders, 10 Days in Europe, and Crokinole, to name a few. But in today's segment, I'm just going to talk briefly about the, her three favorite games from this week. The first game is Pandemic Fall of Rome by Matt Leacock and pa- Paolo Mori. Pandemic Fall of Rome is an interesting spin on the pandemic formula. In Pandemic Fall of Rome, you're not curing diseases, but instead battling back the invading barbarian hordes, keeping them at bay while you frantically try to create peace treaties that will keep Roma from being sacked. I think Pandemic Fall of Rome is my favorite spin-off of the pandemic formula. I really love the mechanism of having the barbarian hordes march across the Mediterranean countryside. I'm not sure if I like or hate needing to use dice to resolve combats, but it does inject a bit more luck, sometimes rewarding you when you take a gamble, and other times absolutely punishing you when you take when you put all your eggs into one basket. My mom said that she pref- she vastly preferred this to the original pandemic, but she's biased. We won the game and she's always loved anything with an ancient Roman theme. My mom's next favorite game from this week was Wingspan by Elizabeth Hargrave, an art by Anna Maria Martinez Jamilo, Natalia Rojas, and Beth Sobel. Wingspan is a card-driven engine building game and it was an instant hit with my mom. She loved how beautiful the the art on the cards were and how great the production was. Personally, Wingspan is just a middle of the road game for me. My biggest complaints being that the luck of the draw being quite prevalent and how I pine for my player interaction. But my issues with Wingspan don't stop me from introducing it to others and it's been a hit every single time. And my mom's favorite game of the week was Calico by Kevin Russ and art by Beth Sobel. I know my mom, again, has a bias here. She's both a cat person and loves quilting. Combine that bias with another beautiful production and she was hooked from the start. In Calico, players are designing a quilt and trying to combine colors to earn buttons, manipulate patterns to attract cats, and satisfy three goals in the center of the board. It's quite abstract, but beautiful and pleasant to play. I know some people can get really stressed out as the game progresses and they have to give up on some of their goals as they become impossible to fulfill. But if you approach the game knowing that you can't accomplish everything, it's a much more relaxing and enjoyable experience. And that's all the time I have this week. If you want to hear more in-depth thoughts of each of these games, check out my reviews over at meeplethemoose.com or follow me on Twitter at MooseMeeple. Have a happy Wednesday. I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And this is Board on the Air, a weekly podcast in Saskatoon, and this is What Have You Been Playing? On tonight's, or today's talk segment, yeah. we are going to talk about the new hotness, Arc Nova. This yeah. is a uh, new game, or newish game, uh, came out at Essen. Uh, slow release into the U.S. and even slower release into Canada. Uh, finally hit Canada, got our copy, got to play it. Jordan, describe Arc Nova. In my personal opinion, it sort of seems like a mashup between the some styles of like Brass Birmingham, uh, Rajas the Ganges, and Terraforming Mars. 
Okay, so your main actions is you have your five cards at the bottom of your board. And all of them are more powerful the further right they get. And whenever you use a card, it goes to the farthest left spot and everything rotates. Yeah, so the, the longer you wait to do an action, the more powerful it gets. And you're mainly just building a zoo. You're putting tiles down to have space for your animals. And then the cards, like in where the terraforming Mars comes from, is the cards where you play animals and they'll give you an instant effect. Or there's certain cards you'll play that will have a continuous effect that will happen every once in a while. But it's not as overwhelming as a terraforming Mars where you have 40 different cards that are activating on different things. Yeah, terraforming Mars is all about that engine building where... You do one card, which activates into the next card, which activates into the next card, which activates into the next card. And by the time you finish, you've missed the five cards that it also activated. Uh, there's two types of cards. There's the animals that you play, and then there's the... Uh, sponsors. Sponsors. And then and there's the third one, which is the conservation goals that you can play. Yeah, but in your tableau, yeah. uh, the sponsors are the ones that give you that ongoing bonus uh ongoing effect uh you get a few of those out uh it's all based on like any of these games is what cards you get yeah uh there is some mitigation where there's a row of cards down the middle as as you upgrade you can get pull from those well you can always pull one from the start if you have a level five card draw but yeah 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 and you have your tableau or your map in front of you which you're building your zoo and you're putting pens out, which are different shapes. Yeah. Uh, some animals require a, Bigger a specific pen. shape. Some require or allow you to put them into a specific pen. Like there's petting zoos, there's reptile villages. And the aviaries. And aviaries, yeah. Like, you didn't build any of the special buildings. No, I, I did all the basics except for I did one petting, petting zoo. zoo. Yeah, I did a... My main thing I built with my lizard habitat, the reptili- reptile area, yeah. which let me store multiple reptiles in there. And it was actually kind of good because there's a few small reptiles that are just like, oh, we don't actually take up space here. You you just have to have it. Yeah. Yeah, It's it was a very interesting game. It took me a while to... Figure out the scoring? Fi- well, the scoring... Figure out what moves you up on one of the tracks. Yeah, uh, so... Like in Raja's, the money track, or in this one, I think it's the excitement track. Appeal. Appeal track moves very quickly. Uh, but it's moving the smaller cons- smaller spots. Yeah. Uh, where the fame track in Raja's, or in this one, it was... The, the conservation pers- points. Conservation points jumps... Rapidly. Rapidly. But they're harder to do. I think, well, Raja's is easier, but... This one is all about... You have quests that are the main way to get these points. And both you and Shay were a little bit slow getting to them. And I was onto them, like, as soon as I could. Yeah, you started attacking them. We, We were more figuring out the game. You know, what do I do to do this? What do I do to do that? I, I wasn't as focused on the scoring aspect of it. Uh, at least that's the excuse I'm going to use for finishing last. Uh, <laughs> this is a long game. Yes. Uh, but I, at no time was I bored. No, it it all flows really well. And 
unlike in Raj's, there's income periods where you're going to reset your money, like a terraforming Mars. Yep. But the income is based on where you are on your appeal track, which is where I get the Brass Birmingham feel, where you can move up your money really quick, but it's certain areas is how much money you get for that area. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. That's That that makes sense, that Brass... Uh, income. Income part of it. Uh, I think the length of the game and the card play is where you get those... Uh, similarities with terraforming mars oh yeah uh terraforming mars at two okay my history of terraforming mars i played it the first time with six players i found it one of the driest worst games ever i think that was either my first or second time playing yeah with six players then i played it at three players and i thought oh maybe there is a game here uh because Mel had played it, my wife had played it, and enjoyed it So at it was, two. Yeah, and we played it at three. And we played it at three, and it was tolerable. Uh, I thought, okay, this isn't as bad as my first experience. Yeah. Then I played a two-player game with Mel, and I had a just a wonderful time. And that's where I thought, this is the player count this game is meant to be played yeah. at. Uh, it's great at two. It's tolerable if you have a good group at three. Yeah. Uh, Four is iffy. <laughs> Four and above, it's, it, the length adds in and there's too much downtime. Arc Nova, I could see myself playing it at four. Yes. Uh, I don't think it will be, it will add that much length. And I don't think the turns take that much or that much time where you're going to be waiting. Plus, it also cycles the cards more, so you're going to be seeing more of the cards that you might want. Or... Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think 2 and 3 is a still its sweet spot, but I'm not going to turn down a game at 4 like I would Terraforming Mars. At least not until we try it at 4. Yeah. I, I, I'm, it, it's intrigued me enough that first game at 3 to try it at 4. Uh, all of us had a good time at 3. Yep. Uh it took us a while to find the game, mm. is what I would say. That first time you play it, which is all we've played. Hell, um, th- this is just what we've been playing, not a review. But that first time playing it, it, it took a while to figure out the game. Yes, it's, it's the reverse engineering part of it, where you're like, okay, I want to play this card. How do I get this thing? Okay, yeah. how do I get these what does this card do? Because there was a few times they did a card, you're like, oh, that's how that works. Yeah. And the one interesting thing that just popped in my head is that I found at the beginning of the game, money wasn't, I wasn't short of money. But as I play, or as we played the later rounds, I got shorter and shorter of money, well, where Terraforming Mars is the opposite. Well, I find. The reason I found that was because as you get into later rounds, you're like, oh, I'll play this bigger one now, or no one's really wanting to take the actions that cause the, that will move down to the income phase. Yeah. Okay, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And that was Arc Nova. Talk to you next week.
Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week we've been playing one game and one game only. It feels like we've been playing this game a lot mm-hmm. lately and maybe longer than this one week. What game are we talking about, Anna Marie? We are talking about Arc Nova, designed by Matthias Wig or Wiggy, um, and uh, published by Capstone Games and Fuerland. Yeah, Arc Nova. So the the new hotness that's out there, especially here in Canada, we have been playing basically nothing but Arc Nova for the last about ten days or so. Um, we yep. played a whole whack of two player games. Uh, of this game and we just just now finished playing our first three player game mm-hmm. and it's about 11:30 p.m pacific right now when we're recording this just after finished playing that so we're kind of fresh off our first three player game here so we're going to talk to you a little bit about how this game works and what we thought um this game is simply a zoo builder yeah so you're building a zoo and you've got a few different boards you've got a board with kind of uh, three different tracks on it and you've got your own player board, and then you've got a little sideboard where you can do a few other actions on it. And you got a conservation or what uh, spot where you're, you know, supporting conservation efforts. Yeah, that's and the sideboard. Yeah. 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 There's kind of the what's it called the association track? association board. Yeah, association board. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, yeah, you've got your own player board where your little map is that you're going to be filling in kind of the uh, hexes to fill in your. You're building your enclosures for yeah. your zoo and adding little buildings and kiosks. Yeah, and, and the bulk of the game uh, is cards, and there are two hundred some odd cards in this game that yeah. are all unique, which is really really cool. And this this game does play fairly similar to. Uh, another great game out there called Terraforming Mars that everyone's probably heard of, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's a similar style of game. It, although I would, I wouldn't say it's as close to Terraforming Mars as a lot of people yeah. have been saying. There are, there are certainly uh, similarities, but quite different in a, in a few different aspects. The the one cool thing about this way is uh, this game is the way that this game scores. I was just gonna say I love the scoring track mm-hmm. in this game. There are two tracks there's an appeal track and the conservation track and you know one is the appeal is like your ticket sales Mm -hmm. you know so the more animals you have in your um, zoo you're going to gain more ticket sales so you're going up the appeal track but then the more conservation efforts that you support you're going to go up the conservation track and one starts at one end of the board the other starts at the other and yeah, you're like going opposite the, ways either ends of the horseshoe so they're going to intersect yep. eventually yep and once they intersect that's the game end trigger and then you do, you have to try to push it so you have yeah. some like you some want of them your to meet but yeah. you also want them to bypass each other by as far as possible yeah so you have like during the game, you're basically playing out two types of cards during your turn. You're going to be playing out animals into your zoo, and then you're going to be playing out sponsor cards. Mm-hmm. And the sponsors, there a lot of those will have some game end scoring. So if you're lucky enough to get those, you're going to have some game end scoring there. But you yep. also get two game end scoring cards at the beginning of the game, and then you're going to have to get rid of one of them. But with all of those cards... As you're building your tableau and you're putting out animals into your zoo and putting out sponsors, you want to try to keep in mind like, okay, these are going to help me in the game and scoring so that when they finally intersect, I'm going to get to push them past farther. Yeah. 
get me extra appeal, get me extra conservation. Yeah, because you want you want them to pass each other and then just keep on going yeah, in the as two far different as directions you can. as far as you can. Because the difference between those pegs at the end of the day is going to be your final score. Yeah. Um, so if you you know a difference of ten, you're going to finish the game with ten points. It's simple as that. Yeah. Really, really cool that way, and it re- I really like how that works. Also, I really enjoy on the on your player board. Um, you have your map where you're building your your uh, zoo, but underneath that is where the like the the meat and potatoes of this game oh, yeah. uh, comes from and that you have five action selection cards that yeah. you have to work with and they sit in five different spots one through five and that those different slots uh give a power to the card that's underneath it so you if you have a card sitting in your one slot it's basically has a power of one and if you have a card sitting in your five slot it has a power of five and that's really really neat and as you use these cards they move from uh say you used your number five uh, card and it was like your play out an animal card you'd be able to uh, play out a, an animal uh, well that card would would allow you to play out two animals because yeah. it's at a power of five and if it says it right on the card basically if this card's in the in the level five slot you can play out two animals if it's in the level four three two slots you can only do one yep. and if it's in the level one slot you can't play any um, and that's just how it works so you you would fire up whatever card you want and then do whatever it it says, and then you would take that card and you throw it down to the far left side, and your level uh, one it slot. becomes your level one, and everything yeah. shuff- uh, uh, shuffles up. And it's neat because you don't like you don't have to play your level five card. You could play no, your play level you want. three, sure, and then it's going to go back down to the level one. But then so, all of a sudden, your number two has become your number three, right? Exactly, and so you can. It's all about you know maybe you don't need your building, and I only need a, a lower enclosure like a smaller enclosure mm-hmm. well i can build at my level two and i can put out a level two enclosure yeah and then i move up whatever that one card is to try to get it going faster up the track it's yeah it, it's very awesome it's that, very, very that, cool me- that uh, mechanism is very cool yeah, i really really like that part of it. i mean that's that is the the bulk of this game takes place in yeah. those five cards using them in whatever way you want and it's just back and forth turns like there's no rounds to this game it's just back and forth, taking and an forth, action, yep. and then adjusting your cards on on your little table, and then yeah, getting those pegs to go up one track and go up the other track and intersect and push past each other to give you your final score. I really um, the one thing this game is long. It, it does is. take you we know just finished that three player game and it took three, three hours. hours. So we're and that finding it people that knew what we were doing. Yeah, we're finding it's roughly like an hour per player. Yeah, um, which is. The opposite kind we're, of what they advertise. We're still playing a lot to see if we can push that down, but yeah, um, we're trying well, to figure out ways on how to <laughs> like using this side of the board because there's a whole bunch of different maps you can use. So we're yeah. trying to figure out which map might be the fastest map to use. And but and, uh, but it doesn't feel long. That's the nice thing is I don't I feel agree. like the game is dragging on or anything. Like I'm engaged the whole time and I'm playing totally. the whole time. But then so, you do look down. You're like, oh man, it's eleven thirty. Yeah, it's this, late. This has been yeah, it's been a long time for this type of game. Yeah. But uh, we have just reviewed this game in its entirety mm-hmm. on our podcast, the Meeple Dungeon Podcast, episode thirty four, uh, that we put out yesterday. So you will be able to find that if you go to any of the major podcasting sites. You'll find the Meeple Dungeon. You click on episode thirty four, and it's <laughs> got the Arc Nova review at the very end of the episode. There's a few other things leading up to that, but yeah, um, yeah that's uh, that's it for this week. So we're gonna run, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya.
there. This is Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And let's have a look at what the Bridge City Board Gamers community has been playing. Jason. Jason says, we are halfway through a game of Arc Nova. Had to stop as we started late and sleep is apparently important. <laughs> it's a myth. But, oh, yay, awesome, Arc Nova. The uh, the I think I think the way I, that it's been described to me that this is Gaia Project the Zoo, and uh, I'm very interested. So yay! I might have to just go pick one up. Uh, Tim, Tim's playing some Wingspan, and there's a uh, there's a lot of people at the table playing Wingspan. So that is uh, probably uh, uh, what that would have been a great game because that's one of my favorite engine builders. Well, I have a lot of favorites, you know. And uh, if, hey, here's a good segue. If you want to hear what uh, we have a, a new uh, Cardboard Conjecture has a new show on YouTube called uh, The Top Five Show. I know, right? It's <laughs> pretty self serving. Um, uh, and uh, the tagline is uh, We talk about our favorite uh, games one topic at a time. And uh, this one was Anna Marie's choice talking about uh, uh, unplayed games that are five years and older, you know, that you want to play. So, uh, but everybody's played Wingspan. What a tangent. That was awesome. It's like a bird just took off. Hans, Terraforming Mars? I th that should just be like, like tattooed. Uh, uh, snakes, because uh, there's like three S's at the end. Super Lucky Mega Box. <laughs> that sounds fun. Uh, Tree Lined Avenue, Arc Nova, and Glass Road. All right, you know what? Arc Nova is like the hotness right now in... in uh, in this community and and uh so uh, you know i've already heard two uh content co content contrib i can't even speak i didn't finish my coffee uh content contributors talked about arc nova already so i i gotta play that game and glass road glass road uwe rosenberg and uh if you like uwe stuff and you like a game that's under an hour that's the one and the resource dial is so cool how it works so yeah, it's very clever. Marianne played Ventura. It looks like a tile-laying area control-esque kind of resource game. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Steve, Star Wars Outer Rim. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, we had the opportunity to um, interview Corey Kaneska, and uh, we talked about a whole bunch of the, of the, the story, narrative-driven um, theme type games that he comes up with and wow that was such a fun fun chat uh, Paul unmatched can't wait for my tracks cartographers 10 penny parks key to the kingdom dogs bond um, of all those I've played two of them wow right on I like I like knowing about new games so I'm gonna look up those those uh, key to the kingdom dogs bond 10 penny parks nice Jeff Arc Nova, Glass Road. Hey, there's a Venn diagram going on here. Uh, Treelined Avenue, Free Ride, Veggies, Founders of Teotihuacan, Azul Greens Garden, Queens Garden, Baron Park, Rolling Realms, and Tenpenny Parks. That is an enormous lineup. It's like you work at a game store or something. <laughs> Eli picked up where I left off in the edge of the earth for Arkham. A uh, living card game. Yay, I got to get back to that. Did the first scenario of Sinister Motives for Marvel Champions and a couple of games of Marvel, United, X-Men, and Scythe. Cool. I don't think 
end scythe is like a hybrid thing. I think it means just end the game scythe because United X Men and scythe that'd be kind of that'd be kind of cool. I'm in. Uh, Louis unmatched cartographers so clover. Oh, I want to try that game. Cascadia, uh, Rising Sun, Cantaloupe, Targi, Raiders of the North Sea, Furnace, the Crew. I think that's it. That's that's it. That's a good lineup. Uh, so Clover. I want to play that one because uh, I love uh, Just One, uh, which is my favorite party game. And a lot of people have said, yeah, this one's just as good. So that's a sell for me. And there, you know, it makes sense because it is difficult to find. So if you see it, buy it. Because if you don't want it, somebody you know does. Joel. Dude Imperium. Yay. Zombie Dice. Camel Up. Regicide, twice as clever, land versus sea, and undaunted North Africa. Wow, spectacular. I, I just picked up Camel Up at Dragon's Den Games, and uh, I can't wait to play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, nice. Matt got uh, in two plays of Teotihuacan City of the Gods with all three expansions. <laughs> that uh, Anytime that I see anybody say, and I used all the expansions. And it was a three-day game. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, that sounds like it's plenty, plentiful. Well, there you go. That's what the uh, Bridge City Board Gamers community has been playing. So uh, if someone was to ask me the question, Norm, what you been playing? And uh, my answer would be, well, last week, I haven't been playing that many games because I've been uh, I've been woodworking um, uh, lad in the... Uh, Wood Geek Studio, and uh, here a little pitch. If you're interested in some Wood Geek Studio handcrafted gaming accessories, you can pick them up at Dragon's Den Games and Amazing Stories on 8th Street. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, so I played uh, in Gamer's Garage last week. Uh, a spectacular loss. Spectacular loss on my part. Like epic, narratively. This could have been like, you know part of a sci-fi network episode because I played Clank in space, a deck building adventure. And you have to have, because the, there's exclamation points all over this title. And uh, yeah, there was myself, Jeff, Dave, and Jordan. And uh, we played with, again, I think we played with all the expansions. And uh, wow, one expansion completely changed. This is the one where you take the cube. I forget what the title is. I think it's Apocalypse where you, where you use the black cubes on a board that uh, um, uh, uh, releases events, thematic events, and, you know, level one, level two, level three. And, uh, oh boy, <laughs> did, did we as a collective not pay too much attention to this one because it completely took the knees out on some of the uh, tactical choices in the game. But um, if, you have, if you don't know this game, it's designed by, by Paul um, Denon, and it's published by Dire Wolf Games, Renegade Game Studios. And if it if it feels familiar to Dune Imperium, it's because yeah, the, this is the team that went ahead and designed Dune Imperium, and they took the DNA, part of the DNA of uh, of their Clank uh, um, methodology. And this is, I mean, this is probably such this is such a fun deck building game, and the sense of humor in it is spectacular because as Clank. Uh, the a lot of the cards and a lot of the the the, uh, the items and everything um, kind of are sarcastically and thematically connected to 
uh, the the genre. So Clank, the the like the dungeon diver, um, you find a lot of uh, um, kind of funny uh, play on words with that theme. And again, with this one, Clank in space. A lot of the characters you can you look at that and go, oh yeah, that's a that's a funny version of a Star Trek character, or that's a funny version of a Doctor Who thing, right? I mean, there's so many there's so many um, uh, adoptions of uh, genres in this game for solely for comedic purposes, right? Um, it doesn't change the game at all. It just gives it another kind of funny layer of of depth to it uh, to enter. I mean, and to have fun because this game is fun. So if you've never played this game, it's I, I call it like Dine and Dash the game because uh, depending on the, the the theme of the original version, which is a dungeon diver, and this one's like a space thing. Um, this one we played uh, with the uh, the expansion. I think it's Station Eleven or something like that, where we're on instead of being on the bad guy's ship, we're on a space station, and the again the same scenario is that it is a uh, um, uh, crescendo of ratcheting of the villain coming at you and drawing drawing hit point cubes out of a bag to try and kill you <laughs> because as you're trying to sneak around you make noise and this noise goes into the bag and that's the cool mechanism of this game is is uh, you could do what you want but uh, your you, your behavior has consequences and that consequences is consequences are noise of these represented by these little cubes that go in the bag. And every time you trigger a villain attack, you draw a certain amount of cubes, depending on what ratchet you're on in, in regards to the tension. And those cubes come out and, and uh, basically are the game trying to uh, destroy you. And uh, also it's not just the game, it's dine and dash the game, because ultimately you're trying to get to a certain level or open up a certain level where you can go get the treasures which are the big victory points. And they start off, I think it's like five, 10, and they go, they go up in increments of five all the way up to 30. So with the game trying to like put you out of your misery, the uh, other players at the table are trying to do the same thing because, um, yeah, in my case, uh, I was just having fun accumulating points and uh, we, we discovered at the end of the game, had I gotten out, I would have, I would have, I think beat everybody by twenty points. So the uh, <laughs> the collective conspiracy at the table was, uh, hey, <laughs> let's make sure Norm stays on the space station. And uh, so yeah, um, uh, they got out of there fast. And uh, being a deck builder, I I di I didn't I didn't build enough movement in my deck. <laughs> And uh, I, it was so classic. It was so cinematic. I got to about two, two movements away from the cargo bay. And had I got to the cargo bay, I could have saved, you know, my victory points, but not, you know, get the, get the, the, uh, the victory points of being able to get off or out of, you know, this, of, of the bad space. But uh, yeah, they, uh, on their turn, they're all pulling cubes and uh, they finalized me at the threshold and it was epic. It was awesome. And uh, if that if that was uh, me me perishing in such a, a bravado manner was was awesome. That says to you how how fun this game is. So yeah, if you have not played this game, give it a give it a shot. And if you're Rob uh, who uh, picked up this game, you might as well start playing it, right? Right? And um, 
that's pretty much it. I played Clank, and what a memorable game this week it was. So that brings us to the uh, the point of this show, where I like to say thank you so much for listening, and thank you always, always huge thank you to the content creators who take the time to put something together and have this show become a reality. Uh, I always appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?